the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Welcome to our first review preview podcast of the 2022 season. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will start with the postmortem of CU's 38-13 loss to TCU in the opener. The translation from the Latin of postmortem is literally after death. And that's what it felt like in Folsom Field as the Horned Frogs turned a 7-6 halftime advantage into a 38-13 route. We will then turn our attention to CU's upcoming game against Air Force. Going through our tips progression, we will look at the talent for both teams, what intangibles may be in play, how preparation, especially for the Falcons' option offense, will play a role, and look at which statistics will factor in in deciding the winner. So, who will be CU's starting quarterback against Air Force? Has Carl Durrell, based upon player comments after the TCU game, already lost the locker room? Can a buff defense, which was gashed by TCU's rushing attack, find a way to stop the nation's leading rushing offense? Can the buff offense find a way to match the Falcons score for score? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back, joined from Highlands Ranch by Brad. I stayed up too late on Friday. Geiger, how are you doing today? Oh, generally okay. Have kind of salved my wounds and ready to talk about all this. Okay, and joining us from downtown Denver is Neil. I'm not sure it was a good idea to pick this game to go to. Langland, how are you doing? Yeah, first time, <clears throat> excuse me, since 2019, and I just wanted to be in the stadium and, you know, if they lost but played well, okay, good experience. That's what I was out for, but, oh, my God, I don't know what to say about that, except um, I've never been more disappointed in a bus game, and I left early for the first time ever at Vulcan. Okay, okay. well. TCU 38, Colorado 13, the first game of the season. Got started on a Friday night 35 minutes late. Didn't start till 8.45 and finished two minutes before midnight. But I think the clock struck 12 for Colorado a little before midnight. Brad, we got some disappointment in downtown Denver. How were, uh, what were your immediate overview takeaways from the TCU game? 
Well, immediate was at about three quarters of the way through the third quarter, sitting as we always do on the 50 yard line. I was angry, just frustrated that once again, we were out talented, we were outplayed, and we were out coached. By the time we left, which was just before the end, I, in that short period of time, I kind of just realized that this is sadly who the Buffs are. And it's really difficult to figure out how that's going to change. Okay. Well, Neil, let me give you a couple of stats and get your reaction. Uh, first downs, 11 to 3. Total yards, 212 to 67. Time of possession, 2208 to 752. The good team was 5 of 10 on third downs. The bad team was 1 of 5 on third downs. And, of course, we're talking about the first half when Colorado – outgained TCU 212 to 67 and an 11 to 3 advantage in first downs was 5 of 10 on third downs and had 22 minutes of possession and but for Ashton Logan's first career punt being shallow in return for a touchdown Colorado would have had the lead so were we optimistic at halftime I mean look at those stats those are pretty nice stats to have you probably would have taken those right Absolutely. I was pleased. The offense did not look stellar, but I could say that they seemed to be improved. Play selection seemed better. The execution was still iffy and our QB still seemed hesitant. And that gave me pause. But I thought as long as the defense was holding up, we still had a puncher's chance. And um, I thought also at halftime, well, it looks like we're going to get a different QB in the third quarter. So I was actually hopeful. And all of that was dashed within the first, first five minutes of clock time that it's the same old thing. Darrell just doesn't seem to want to adapt. He does not want to do what it takes to win. I was angry also. It seems that he wants to do things his way without winning being the prime consideration. Okay, well, job, uh, Brad, these Carl Rowe's got a millions of dollars on the line. I assume that probably winning is probably high on his list of priorities. Uh, the Buffs were in the red zone three times in the first half and came away with two field goals. Had the Buffs been successful in the red zone and not had one bad punt, it might have been a completely different story. And Shrout was brought in mostly to just run up the middle. To Ryan, you know, from the one yard line, gained four yards on first down and then was able to actually move the ball. So it looked like there was some reason for optimism with both quarterbacks. Um, obviously, Lewis was able to move the ball with his feet and did have a couple of passes that were completed downfield to Arias, Daniel Arias, uh, down 7 6 at halftime. But, but for a punt return for a touchdown, dominated the first half. So should there be some room for optimism about the University of Colorado football based upon what they did to a power five team in the first half? No. And, and listen, I'm, I was sitting there. I was observing. Lewis is better. There's no doubt about that. He looked better than he did in many games last week, last year. The defense looked good. Uh, the kicking game, the kicker looked good. Um, yeah, you could have made all of those arguments, but there is nobody in that stadium who felt that they 
that CU was by far the better team at the end of the first half. It wasn't just that they couldn't convert in the red zone. It's that they had no clear idea about how to convert in the red zone. The running game, with the exception of Lewis, was sad. You didn't realize it at the time, but it felt like we were dinking and dunking. It just never felt like we got rolling in any way that made you confident you were going to be able to keep doing it. Now, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that I was going to be able to predict that the TCU was going to come out of half, come out at halftime and run across us, across our defense, like they weren't even on the field. Um, but nobody was confident that that was a team that CU was a team that if you just tweak a couple more things, we got this game in hand. We commented sitting there about how fast the TCU secondary looked compared to anybody on the CU team. The talent difference, and we talked about this going in, the talent difference was there, but it was bigger than we feared. And when they came out and did that in the first drive of the second half, nobody was shocked. Well, maybe how they did it. We probably probably, could pass the ball, but run up the middle gash up the middle I mean, it was a three or four or five play drive that and of course then lewis trotted back out and went three and out and the boo started mm-hmm. so neil you know if i'm looking at stats for quarterbacks one quarterback went 13 for 18 the other one went 13 for 23 so lewis had uh, a better completion percentage and he also had 42 yards rushing i'm going to play devil's advocate for the very last time this evening and say, you know, isn't there some reason to believe that Lewis with his legs has a reason to at least be in the rotation at quarterback? Interesting theory. And he adds that dimension for sure. But the primary thing that a quarterback has to do is look at a defense, find the open guy, and do things with his arm. And I'm still not convinced, although I wanted to be, that he's improved dramatically in that regard. The other thing that, that bothered me, and a bit of a digression, is that in the red zone, we saw the same thing Friday night that we saw against AM last year, which was a stubborn refusal to even consider passing the ball and by trying to outmuscle the other team. And it was clear from play later on in the half that CU just did not have. Um, the oomph up front to play that kind of game. So I think uh, Durrell is just, to me, he's frustrating because he seems inflexible and dedicated to his way no matter what. Yeah. Well, the last thing I'll, I'll put in there is that the argument for going against the three-three-five defense is that you can't throw over the defense. You've got an umbrella of defensive backs. You have to take what the defense gives you. And CU, at least in the first half, accomplished that between the 20s, that you take what's given to you, you get the first downs. Like you say, CU was 5 of 10 on third downs, kept the, kept the ball moving, didn't have a three and out, kept the chains going, kept the ball 22 minutes. But... If you don't convert in the red zone, then that's just stats. And that's what happened with CU. I mean, the total yardage, 413, even with TCU stuff, everything that happened in the second half, they only had 67 yards in the first half. 
finish with 413, CU finished with 348. You would think that would be a fairly close game just based on the stats, but it was a complete domination and complete embarrassment in the second half. Let's talk a little bit about what the players said in the locker room. That, to me, almost was worse than the game itself. I mean, we watched the Minnesota game. We watched the USC game. We watched the Oregon game last year. We watched the Utah game in the second half. You know, same old, same old, but it seemed like, you know, from players, you know, captain like Brady Russell and and Quinn Perry talk about team players hanging their head and being down even when it was a 17 to 6 game. Has Carl Durrell, Neil, already lost the locker room one game into the 2022 season? Is that even possible? I, when I read that, was quite surprised after all the discussion we've had about how the team had come together and was one. And um, that seems to be a fissure in that team. And I suspect it might be in part due to the players know who should be playing. And I don't think that there is unanimity or even a significant uh, proportion of the players that think Shroud should not be playing. Brad, does it come down to that? I mean, that's always been the argument you hear about having two quarterbacks alternate, that there's loyalties in the locker room and that leads to a fractured locker room. Is it that simple that it's just a matter of getting Shroud out there to start and the team can be unified and the team can start being productive? Boy, I hope so. Because <laughs> if it's not, we've got nothing. And I don't think it. I don't think it's that simple. I think this team knows, or at least saw on Friday, what happens when they are faced with athletes they can't compete with. I would love for it to be about Shroud. I mean, let's not pretend he had an immaculate debut there were two or three passes that could have been intercepted he didn't make perfect decisions he comes out of the pocket too fast he probably is certainly more of a gambler than lewis but he wasn't perfect hopefully i would love for him to come in and bring a a spark if it's about the quarterback and the team wanting that then durrell's got no choice i still think he doesn't but my better fear is that this team came out believing some of their own press clippings about being better and then saw that they just can't run with these guys. And if that's the problem, then I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. Well, Neil, if Shroud is maybe, perhaps, maybe the answer, I don't know. Do you think that... Carl Durrell, after Monday's practice, came out and said they're still evaluating and, you know, both players are still being looked at and everything like that. Is this just him giving Air Force something more to look at? Or do you think it's just Carl Durrell continuing to be stubborn and resisting all objective evidence? Well, that's a tough question. Um, We don't know what's in his heart and mind. We can only observe. But. I believe that Coach Durrell believes in his heart that Lewis can do it. 
And from his pro background, he does not like a quarterback that takes chances. He wants a button down guy there that's not going to put the ball up for grabs. To me, we've seen, excuse me, if he's going to have an informed decision about this quarterback thing, we have 12 and a half games of Lewis. And by the way, I like the kid. He was my choice for player of the year on the team just because of the way he behaved last year. He was classy. But we need some data on Shroud and legitimate chances to see what he can do not be brought in in the worst of circumstances as he was Friday night and asked to perform, he needs to be able to run an offense. The coaches, the OC needs to be able to plan a single offense and let Shrout show us what he can do because he showed me on a couple of throws. What I suspected is that he has arm talent, that he has a quick release, He's decisive and he sees pretty quickly where he wants to go. He deserves a chance. And I think the fans and the team deserve that chance also. Okay. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, we'll move on to Air Force, a team that won 10 games last year, a team that is favored by Vegas, at least at the outset, to be um, favored in every game they play this year, including against Colorado. The the Lions started 13.5, moved quickly into uh, 17, 18-point range. So, and I doubt that Dave Platty will come up with a stat of the last time C was a three-score underdog to a group of five team. But Air Force, obviously, is a quality team. Let's talk a little bit about their talent. T for talent, we'll do our tips those are not familiar. It's talent, intangibles, preparation, and stats. And of course, my written tips are on Wednesday mornings of game week uh, at the CU at the game website. The difference between CU and Air Force is CU doesn't have a quarterback, whereas Air Force has a three-year starter at quarterback. Azeek Daniels, who ran over through and above uh, Northern Colorado, leading Air Force to a 48-17 to win in their opener. Uh, Brad, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Air Force's talent and what stood out to you? Well, when you talk about talent for Air Force, you're not talking about talent in the normal sense. You're not talking about three stars and four stars and certainly never five stars. What you're talking about is talent crafted to do what they have to do. They have picked people who can run their offense in particular knowing that that offense is about discipline, knowing it's about reads, knowing it's about um, seeing the entire field, they have that kind of talent, particularly at quarterback. Um, and you give somebody with that kind of talent and that kind of football intelligence um, three years to develop that on a kind of offense that nobody runs, so nobody else sees. Yeah, they have probably, are they bigger, stronger, faster? No, although find me the playmaker on CU's roster. Daniel Arias, be about it. Talent-wise, I would say that Air Force at this point, if you, when you, in the system that they have, they are more talented. That quarterback is going to be able to read what we're trying to do. Um, and I fear, like he did, you know, I mean, we're better than Northern Iowa, I think. 
but I fear that he's going to find the holes. Okay. Well, Neil, Northern Iowa, I mean, before Buff fans completely dismiss them, I mean, they are a good FCS team. Uh, they are in the playoffs every year. Last year, they lost 16 to 10 to Iowa State when the Cyclones were ranked number seven in the country. And then give Iowa fits every time they they play them. So it's a pretty good FCS team. And yet Air Force ran for 582 yards. No other team in the country ran for more than 380 in week one. So Air Force has a pretty good head start on repeating leading the nation in rushing. Um, Hazik Daniels. Last year set a school record for the longest run in school history, 94 yards against Florida Atlantic, and also had the longest pass in school history, going for 92 yards against Colorado State. So based upon what you saw on the Colorado defense in the second half against TCU when they went for several hundred yards rushing, what do you think about the talent on the Air Force offense? I think Brad raised good points is that if we look at 40 times bench press weight all of that CU has an edge in that but Air Force does so well matching individuals capabilities to their system Uh, he's right that within the context of their system they have a talent edge not to put words in your mouth Brad but I that was sort of inferred but CU is going to have trouble with this. Tucker's team back in 19 spent time in the spring and summer going over Air Force's offense, as have the buffs so far this year. Didn't really make a big difference. And I think with young players not having seen this before, the option offense, whether it's the wishbone triple or the speed or any of that, is all about getting defenders out of position and to take their momentum away so that someone who may not have a flat-out speed advantage suddenly is going to get behind or get around um, a defensive player that's uncertain about what to do. So judging using Brad's criteria, I'm going to go with Air Force on talent. Okay. Force had five guys rush for more than 70 yards yes led by brad roberts uh the fullback at 1352 yards last year which is the third most in school history he had 114 yards and a touchdown uh against northern iowa but the the play i love this is early on in the game so you can imagine didn't see the highlights but probably northern iowa putting you know 10 guys in the box trying to figure out a way to stop this offense so what did Hazik Daniels do? He connected with Dane Kinneman for an 80-yard touchdown. So the first touchdown of the year for Air Force was an 80-yard touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. And making Northern Iowa respect that, then they just ran all over him for the rest of the evening or the afternoon for 582 yards. For the game, they averaged over 10 yards per play. Excuse me, imagine in the second half that they were probably running Again, as Brad mentioned, five players over 70 yards, that there are a lot of backups in the game, and yet they still average 10 yards per play. And that was kind of what we saw with TCU against the CU defense. Neil, is there any any hope for CU keeping up with, in other words, trying to score with 
the Air Force defense has lost some starters. You see any holes in the uh, Air Force defense that would give you hope that uh, maybe CU can actually, with a passing quarterback, uh, score against the Falcons? To the yardage question, uh, I think you and I put up over 400 yards, which is pretty decent. I think that what will happen with CU is can't simulate that stuff in practice, the speed of it, the deception. And I don't see how CU, because the blocking schemes they're seeing, Air Force cut, cuts the backside, double teams on the front, the play side, um, point of attack. Even though their guys are smaller, they're very well coordinated in their blocking scheme. And the backs, while not speed merchants, uh, do very well getting what the play is blocked for. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I am worried that CU, not having seen this and having young players that haven't seen it probably all their way through high school, are going to be trying to stop an offense where assignment soundness is absolutely essential and key. And if someone is is fooled, then there's going to be yardage gained and maybe big yardage. So I, I'm not confident at this point that the CU's front four, three, seven uh, are going to be able to stop the offense. So that that means CU's going to walk a safety down and then whoops, there it goes over their heads. You know, the classic offensive scheme for an option team, pull the safeties up and then throw it over. Um, you got to guess we might see that a couple times. Okay. Can CU score on Air Force? Well, long prelude, uh, as I started. It depends. If we have the same quarterback situation that we had on Friday, but I'm not confident. Um, you and I had some passing yardage. Seems to me this is a great opportunity to step outside of our run emphasis and throw the ball. We've got nice, competent, young wide receivers. Let's give them a go. Let's see what we have. Because they really were ignored a lot Friday. So it's, it's time for those guys to come out and show what they can do. Okay. Well, Brad, moving on to uh, intangibles, the eye of tips. Do you have any Thing in that category for either team? Anything that you think might be an advantage for one school over the other? Well, I mean, we've talked about some. Air Force runs a bizarre offense that nobody else understands. The other is, of course, that they're home. They're playing an in-state rival, and they're favored. I have trouble finding an intangible that doesn't lean towards Air Force. Um, they'll be a big crowd. They'll be loud. They'll be looking forward to be what is perceived to be the big school in the state, although Air Force is so national, they don't really feel that way. But yeah, they're a chance to beat a Power Five conference at home uh, favored. I think the intangibles lie with Air Force. Okay. Neil, anything uh, on CU side of the ledger that uh, you know they can be fired up to uh, 
make up for the 2019 game, make up for the TCU game, anything that uh, would lead you to believe that uh, the CU players have something, a the proverbial chip on their shoulder that can help them do better in Colorado Springs than they did in Boulder? I think Brad's right. I think it cuts pretty decidedly against CU, especially if there was some dissension in the locker room and or the some of the team is beginning to not pay attention to the coaches. Um, that's going to be a big minus for CU. Whether they can overcome that, I'm not seeing it because if they get behind, Air Force is just going to strangle them. They have a boa constrictor offense. And if CU does the three and out routine that they have done repeatedly over the last year and again Friday, it's going to be a long, long night. So to me, that says intangibles, the emotional part. CU seems like it's wounded. I'm just wondering if they're going to be able to come back and have some fire and fervor. I don't have a feel for that. So I'm going to have to go also. Yeah. The, the okay. only way. What's that? The only change would be if the locker room really is behind Shroud and Dorrell goes and says, okay, you guys are right. I've picked your guy. Now you have to play for him. Right. Maybe that's the button you push. Yeah. Well, we'll hope so. Moving on to the pre-preparation part of it, the scheduling. You guys, you know, always we've alluded to it since, you know, Air Force has been on the schedule about not playing an option team very often. Air Force is 3-0 and against Power 5 teams in the last few years, including a win over CU and wins over Washington State and Louisville in bowl games because, and even with bowl games, you get more preparation time. So as you alluded to, uh, Neil, Mel Tucker um, actually took time, took a day during fall camp every week, devoted just to Air Force and still lost in overtime. Anything on the preparation side, Neil, that you think uh, works to either school's advantage other than the the obvious that we don't play option teams and Air Force plays teams with CU's offense offense uh, throughout the season. Against an option team, again, whether it's triple option or the, the sort of double wing thing that Air Force runs, it's assignments. And if we can keep our assignments sound, then I, there might be a chance. But the difficulty of seeing that, especially with young players, young players in the secondary, and the secondary is crucial in stopping their option because they have to do a lot in run support. The linebackers on play side are going to have to be firm and stay with their assignment. And that's difficult to do. So I, I'm, I'm trying to find a way. I'm trying not to be negative. I'm trying to see if there's a chance somehow that CU can pull this out, uh, that they can adequately defense, but I just can't see it. So it, to your question earlier, the preparation, I don't think that CU with a week or whatever they've done so far is going to be adequate. Air Force has a tremendous advantage there. Okay. Brad, you can you concur? Okay. Uh, you played devil's advocate. Let me play um, overly optimistic. As I said, the only way we win in terms of intangibles is if the coaches say, okay, it's shroud. 
So if it's Shroud, it's not the offense that anybody saw last week. So, yeah, we, I'm not going to rehash the problems with the Air Force offense. But if the coaches sit down and say, fine, to heck with it, we're going to throw the ball, we're going to throw it all over the dang field, we're going to make you beat us in single coverage, then that's how we win the preparation game. We know what their offense looks like. We at least know how to try to stop it as hard as it is. We've got to have an offense they can't predict. Okay. Well, the only thing I can find on the preparation side that uh, helps see a little bit is that there are, you know, since the 2019 game is three years ago, there are players on both sides of the ball that played in that game. If you're talking about CU's defensive line and obviously linebackers, it's assignment football. And Neil, you talked about run sport from the defensive backs. That defensive line certainly has to do its job right up front. Otherwise, it's just be gashed up the middle. Terrence Lang and Jalen Sami both started the Air Force game in 2019. And Naeem Rodman and Janez Jordan both played in that game. So you've got four defensive linemen for the University of Colorado that have already prepared for and played against this offense. So if you're going to give any advantage or, you know, a little less of a disadvantage, if you want to put it that way, for Colorado heading into the game in terms of preparation, um, it might be that the defensive line for CU has some experience in actually facing this, uh, this team or this offense. The only other thing I'd say on preparation side, CU, of course, is going to be playing at Minnesota next weekend. Uh, it's a rematch of the game that was very embarrassing last year. Air Force, however, is going on the road for the first time, and they're going to be playing in Laramie against Wyoming. Now, Brad alluded to the fact that Air Force recruits nationally, and yes, they want to be the big team in the state of Colorado. They want to be the premier program, the flagship program, if you will, for the state of Colorado. But in terms of their schedule, in terms of their rivalries, the Wyoming game is much more important to them than playing Colorado. So whereas the Buffs see another big game against the Power 5 opponent down the road, on you know, the team that beat up on them last year, they can put all their eggs in the Air Force basket. Air Force, meanwhile, might already be looking past Colorado and looking forward to playing Wyoming, if you can even imagine that that is a scenario that you can utter in 2022. Thoughts? Uh, you know, it's – if CU is not all in on this game, if they cannot get fired up for this game, then after what happened last week, then they aren't fireable. Um, and Durrell is. I mean, that's, that's how this schedule has to work. CU is not a team that can look ahead of a scrimmage. <laughs> they are now uh, they are now a week by week team, and Durrell has to treat it like that. Coaching staff has to treat it like that. The players have to treat it like that. So, in terms of schedule, we don't care who we play the week after Air Force. We don't care who we play the week after Minnesota. Okay, Neil. My guess, and it's just a guess, is that CU, as you allude to, Stewart may have a chip on its shoulder regarding 2019. And there may be some institutional memory of that. The linemen that you talk about, um, maybe they're going to be better because the 
most important thing is to stop the first option, the fullback. If that can't happen, then none of it's going to happen. In terms of looking ahead, I think Air Force probably does not need to use its entire playbook against CU. So there's going to be plenty left for Wyoming. And I do think that Air Force really does want to pound CU. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you're probably right on that, that they would love nothing more than not only beating CU, but beating up on CU. So the final letter asks for stats. Uh, it's first week of the season. So other than the rehashing the 582 yards they had against Northern Iowa, are there any stats that would, if they were in CU's favor, Brad, be a, a, a game decider? Obviously, time of possession didn't help very much. What uh, what stats, if we looked at the, the ledger on late Saturday afternoon and saw X, what would that lead you to believe that CU is competitive? CU has 275 to 300 yards passing okay. and fewer than two and two or fewer interceptions. Okay. Neil, what stats uh, would stand out to you as being a positive goal for, for CU? With respect to Air Force, if we can shut down their pass game, that might help CU because Air Force had its way with UNI. And if we can at least keep that in under control, keep it under 200 yards, 150, CU might have. Aside from that, I'm not sure what CU is going to be able to do um, based on statistics that are going to be any better than they were last week. Okay. Well, I've got three that I'm going to, I would say that if CU wins on these, that they have a, you know, there's a chance one would be red zone conversions. Obviously you can't be in the red zone three times and come away with six total points. If that had been 21 points, we might be having a different conversation today. Third down conversions, C was six for 15 against TCU, 0 for three on fourth down. You know, if you're going to keep uh, Air Force from scoring, you got to keep them from having the ball. And the third one, of course, would be turnovers. Didn't get any against TCU. Um, if CU could somehow find a way to get three or four turnovers and have short fields or even have a pick six or something like that or a scoop and score, maybe get a punt return of their own. You know, that's what underdogs need are those types of free plays that turn a you know, non-competitive game into a competitive game and get you into the fourth quarter with a chance, which is what CU's looking for at this point. If CU can limit sacks, assuming that we've got Shroud in there, that's going to be very important. Um, if we not, if we can't, then it's again going to be a much longer day. Okay, we'll move on to the exciting part of our show. The predictions, um, Colorado is noted, uh, started as a 13 and a half point underdog. The line quickly moved to 18. Now I saw it most recently at 17. So some of the money's coming in on the University of Colorado. I don't know who is actually doing that, but uh, basically a two touchdown and a field goal underdog. Neil, you get to go first this week. Who do you have and what uh, type of score do you think you're going to see Saturday afternoon in uh, Falcon Stadium in Colorado Springs? 
uh, based on the spread and the over under that predicts a score of 31.15 for Air Force. Excuse me, I think it's going to be much higher. So take Air Force and the over. Um, I think there's going to be more scoring than 45 points. Okay, well, they had 48 against Northern Iowa, 148 to 17. Do you think it's going to get as ugly as that, Brad? Or what do you see happening with CU Air Force Saturday afternoon nationally televised game on CBS? You know, I picked CU to win this game at the beginning of the season. Um, I was wrong, and I don't say that really easily. Um, I, I'll i be an idiot and say I think CU will play a little bit better. I'll be an idiot and say I think they'll pass a little better. I think it's something more along the lines of 45-21 Air Force. I just I don't see CU stopping Air Force sufficiently. And I don't see us scoring enough. I, it, and that may be a backdoor 21. Right. Some 10 points in the fourth quarter when not much is going on. And most of the fans, or at least most of the CU fans, have gotten back on the buses and heading back to Boulder. So not looking good. And this is the last, well, the only non-Power 5 school that CU plays. So dire predictions for the one non-conference game against a group of five opponent. Well, we will be back next week and we will talk about the CU Air Force game and then preview, give our tips for the CU trip to Minnesota to take on the Golden Gophers. So thank you, gentlemen. We will be talking to you next week. Take care. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening, and I mean that sincerely based upon the current state of Colorado football. During the remainder of the season, we will be back weekly with our preview review podcasts being posted on Tuesdays throughout the year with my written tips being posted on Wednesday morning at the See You at the Game website. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be a part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See You at the Game podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I'll be back with Brad and Neil next week as we review the Air Force game and preview the matchup against Minnesota. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.